You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. It's been great that uh, we've been able to share in that uh, dedication of Mia with uh, Brett and Heidi and their children and all their family and friends. And in essence, what Brett and Heidi have been doing is making promises to God and to Mia that they're going to point Mia to Jesus Christ. In all that they do in in bringing her, her up, they're going to point her to Jesus Christ. And the reason that they do that is because they, they believe, uh, along with us here at Liberty Family Church and uh, all of Christendom across the whole world, that we believe that Jesus Christ is the saviour of mankind. So they're going to point Mia to Jesus Christ because they want her to know God's love and to experience eternity uh, in paradise with God and with family and friends. And so this morning, as we open up the word of God this morning, I want to point you also to Jesus Christ. And as a church, we've been going on a journey this year, and it's a journey that we've called God's Story. And God's Story basically involves all that God is doing in the world, all that God plans for the world and for the people he created. Here at Liberty Family Church, we don't believe that we evolved out of slime and from tadpoles or frogs. And if you believe that, then I'd welcome a discussion regarding the science of that and the lie of evolution uh, with you over lunch. We believe that God is the creator of heaven and earth. And we believe that we have been created for a reason to know God and to enjoy God forever. And so we've been going on a journey called God's story. And we've been looking at God's story, not just in the world today, but over history. If you're questioning, where does all this belong in the history of the world? Well, I'm going to point you to some answers this morning. And we believe that God's story began when he created uh, the heavens and the earth, and he created mankind on earth. He created, we didn't evolve, God created mankind. And uh, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, uh, outlines that and begins God's story of redemption for, for mankind, for each one of us. And that God's story has played out and is playing out over the, the millennia, uh, the millennia, the thousands and thousands of years that we know of human history. God's story and God's plan is playing out. We're not here by chance. Things aren't happening by chance. God has a plan, and I want to invite you into that plan this morning as we continue God's story. And we've been looking at uh, the Old Testament and stories of the Old Testament, and perhaps you've never, you've never um, bothered or, or delved into the Old Testament, and you're thinking that is old history, that is boring. Well, I want to... Um, say to you today that the Old Testament is not boring because it's part of God's plan that outlines our history, 
God's involvement in the story of mankind, God's story. And over the last few weeks, we've been continuing God's story, and it's a time in history over, over uh, around about 3,000 years ago when God's story was being played out in the nation of Israel. It's a time we found ourselves in history about 700 to 1,000 years before Christ, a time when Israel was ruled by kings and a time when Israel was challenged and and threatened by neighbouring kings and kingdoms and in particular the kingdom of Assyria. Two weeks ago, Joel gave us an overview of the books of the kings in the Old Testament and God's prophets in this era and Joel focused on one of the few good kings, Hezekiah, and one of the most well-known prophets, you may have heard of him, Isaiah. And Joel highlighted that our best response to difficult situations in life is to bring them before God in prayer, just as King Hezekiah did when the armies of Assyria surrounded Jerusalem. And just before we condemn the Assyrian barbarians to hell and damnation, Laura reminded us last week from the story of Jonah and his mission to Nineveh, the Assyrian capital, that God loves and seeks salvation for all of mankind, for all peoples of the earth, even barbarians and the people in our circles, in our lives, who we think might sometimes act in similar ways. God is a merciful and gracious God. Well, this morning I want to zoom in on one particular event in this period. And as I've said, all of the Bible points us to Jesus Christ, the Saviour of mankind. And this story I want to share this morning, again, in particular, shines a spotlight on Jesus Christ, the Saviour of mankind. And this story comes also from the time of the prophet Isaiah. And it's also during the threat of the Assyrian Empire. It's also during the time of good and bad kings, a divided kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And it's a time that reminds us that God's message of salvation weaves itself right through all of the Bible, even the Old Testament, which we might consider boring and hard to read. All of the Bible points us to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Saviour of mankind. So before we do that, let's briefly recap where we're up to in this period of kings once again. So Saul was Israel's first king, and he explicitly disobeyed one of God's commands given through the prophet and priest Samuel. Saul, whilst waiting for Samuel to come to him and bless him for battle, took it upon himself to offer a sacrifice to God. And this was a duty that God had reserved for the priests from the tribe of Levi, people like Samuel. So God rejected Saul and replaced him with David, the son of Jesse, King David, from the tribe of Judah. You may remember David, the story of David and Goliath. Well, that's the King David we're talking about this morning. And David loved God and and sought to live in obedience to God. And so he was described by the Bible as 
a man after God's own heart. Yet even David suffered the same flaw as all of mankind, all of us, the rest of us. Uh, David was subject to sin, just like you and I. And lust led him into adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, Uriah the Hittite. And in his old age, David handed over the kingdom to his son Solomon, King Solomon. You've heard of King Solomon, I'm sure. And Israel enjoyed prosperity uh, and a time of peace on the world stage for 40 years. This was the height of the kingdom of Israel under God. But after Solomon's death in 931 BC, the human failures of of king and, and subjects a.k.a. sin, soon led to a divided kingdom, as Joel shared a couple of weeks ago. And neither the king or his subjects, the people, would serve God fully and faithfully. And Solomon's son Rehoboam refused to ease the tax burden on the people. So 11 tribes defected under the Ephraimite Jeroboam and became the northern kingdom of Ephraim, which is also called Israel. And this northern kingdom of Israel, or Ephraim, set up its own system of idolatrous worship, worshipping idols, false gods, which led them further and further away from God's protection. In contrast, the southern kingdom of Judah had a mixture of 12 bad kings and eight God good kings, as Joel shared a couple of weeks ago. And some, like Josiah, sought to live in obedience to God and his prophets, whilst others, like Manasseh, Josiah's grandfather, rejected God and his prophets completely. Now, in the midst of this mixed bag of, of southern kings who ruled over Judah for 345 years, beginning with Rehoboam in 931 BC until Zedekiah, the last king before the destruction of Jerusalem and Babylonian exile in 586 BC. After God's patience with Judah finally ran out, God's story is still being told. God's story is still pointing to the saviour of mankind, Jesus Christ. God's story and plan of redemption is still unfolding on the pages of human history. And as darkness and despair descend around Israel and Judah from the threat of neighbouring kingdoms, both Israel and Judah desperately, desperately need a king to save them. And into this fray of international conflict with both Israel and Judah under threat from the Assyrian conquest, God sends the prophet Isaiah with a message of hope, a message of salvation. And Isaiah's name in Hebrew literally means Yahweh is salvation. God is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. Whatever name you want to give to God, he is is salvation. And Isaiah's name embodied that salvation that comes only from God. And the prophet Isaiah wrote between the time of 739 BC and 681 BC, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, 
and Hezekiah, all kings of this southern kingdom of Judah. And it was during the reign of Ahaz, king of Judah, immediately before Hezekiah, that the Assyrian Empire, with its capital in Nineveh, was sweeping west towards the Mediterranean Sea. And it was cruelly laying waste to countries and peoples that lay in its path. This was the empire and the city to which the prophet Jonah was sent by God to preach repentance, as we heard from Laura last week. And the trouble is, perhaps similarly like our own situation, perhaps at times, the repentance doesn't always last forever. The repentance for Assyria didn't actually last that long. And against this recurrent Assyrian threat, Syria, with its capital in Damascus, and Israel, with its capital in Samaria, sought the assistance of Ahaz, king of the southern kingdom of Judah, to stand with them against this western advance of the Assyrian Empire. And it was into this international context that the prophet Isaiah was sent by God with a message for King Ahaz. It was a message of hope, a message of salvation, a message for Ahaz, and a message for Judah. But you know, it's also a message of hope and salvation for all of humanity. A message for you, and it's a message for me. It's a message for today. It's a timeless message, a message for our world, still just as relevant thousands of years later. And it's a message that speaks to all of us in a troubled world where international conflict continues with the ever-present threat of war. Over the last century, we've seen two world wars and threats of nuclear destruction in the midst of a Cold War between the Soviet Union and the United States. And currently we see Russia at war with Ukraine and the ever-expanding threat of China in the Indo-Pacific. And like Ahaz and the king of Judah and the kingdom of Judah, we can also perhaps ponder, wonder or worry who will protect us? Where's our salvation? going to come from? Can we rely on President Biden to protect us? Can we rely on the, on the other countries and the kings and the kingdoms of earth to protect us? Will the AUKUS agreement and the nuclear submarines protect us in the future? Will the Quad Alliance between Australia, Japan, India and the United States save us? Or will the NATO alliance protect Europe from the threat of Russia. Well, now, whilst all of these agreements and alliances have their place in as deterrence of war, the pages of history remind us over and over again that ultimately our only hope for lasting peace is found in God Himself. Our only hope for salvation is found. In God Himself. And this was Isaiah's message for Hezekiah, as Joel shared two weeks ago. And this was Laura's message for Assyria and Nineveh that we heard last week. 
And this was Isaiah's message for King Ahaz that we're hearing today. But it's also a message for you and me today. It's a message that I want to call the sign of Emmanuel. And I want to read from the book of Isaiah this morning about this sign of Emmanuel and how it points to Jesus Christ as the only hope for salvation of the world. So let's read it together this morning. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 17. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, that's Syria, and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David, that's the kingdom of Judah, was told Aram, or Syria, has allied itself with Ephraim, that's the northern kingdom of Israel. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people in Judah were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, that's Syria, and of Pekin, the son of Ramalia. Aram, or Syria, and Ephraim, Israel, and Ramalia's son, Pekin, have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tobiel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. This is what God says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram, or Syria, is Damascus. And the head of Damascus is only King Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim, that's Israel, will be too shattered to be a people. They'll be gone. The head of Ephraim, or Israel, is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Pekan, Ramalia's son. And this is the punchline, the punchline for each one of us also this morning. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not. I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. There'll be no more. Those kingdoms will be gone. The Lord will bring on you, that's Judah, 
and your people and on the house of your father, that's Judah, a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria on you, on Judah. As we consider this passage, there's actually two messages that God and Isaiah had for Ahaz. And there's actually two messages also for us today. But we get to choose what the message is. God's first message for Ahaz was this. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. In other words, if you don't rely on God to protect you and guide you through the the tangled web of international affairs and conflicts, then you are doomed to destruction. If you won't stand with God, then you won't stand at all. Your kingdom is doomed. Don't make a pact with the devil and the kings of the north with Pekin and and Rezin to protect you. But if you do, you are also doomed to destruction just like them. Seek your protection in God and in his promises. This is where you'll find your salvation. Stand firm in your faith or you will not stand at all. You know, God's first message to Ahaz is also a message for each one of us today. Ultimately, we also have to stand firm in our faith or we will not stand at all. And just as our our physical lives might come under threat from international aggressors, so too our spiritual lives come under threat from world philosophies, world theories, culture of the world. And whilst godly wisdom in our time might encourage us that there's strength in numbers to deter powerful aggressors on the world stage, God implores us today, God implores you today, not to make deals with the devil when it comes to your faith. God implores us today not to compromise your faith in Jesus Christ, to fit in with world philosophies, world theories, world culture of today. God's message to you and I today is this. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Don't accept anything else than the message of the cross and Jesus Christ. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Don't hedge your bets on salvation with world theories, world philosophies, world culture. Don't hedge your bets on salvation. Because that's what Ahaz was doing. Ahaz, king of Judah, was hedging his bets to try and save Judah. And Isaiah knew that King Ahaz was hedging his bets. King Ahaz had played the world system. He'd paid an expensive tribute to the king of Assyria, attempting to be left in peace by Assyria as they marched west and conquered all before them. Isaiah knew that Ahaz's faith in God was weak and insincere. And Isaiah and God knew that King Ahaz would, see, would need some sort of divine assurance that God would protect 
would protect Ahaz and Judah. God knew that Ahaz needed some sort of divine assurance to trust completely in God rather than making peace with the devil and his Assyrian king. And so Isaiah instructed Ahaz to ask God for a sign. Go on, ask God for a sign that God will protect you, that God will protect Judah. A sign that God would rescue and save Judah. But then with feigned piety of not putting God to the test, Ahaz refused. Ahaz refused to ask God for a sign. He said, I won't put the Lord God to the test. But he wasn't sincere. He wanted to hedge his bets and just pay some money, pay some gold to Assyria. Leave us in peace. Ahaz preferred to hedge his bets on Assyrian mercy rather than trust God for his deliverance. And so Isaiah gets angry, as you probably heard when I read that passage. Isaiah gets angry. In fact, God would have got angry. Why do you test my patience? Why won't you trust me? Isaiah rebukes Ahaz for not being willing to trust God completely for protection and trust the sign that God was going to give to assure Ahaz and Judah that God alone is the salvation. God alone can protect you and save you. So instead of being given a sign that God would save Judah from a Syrian attack, now we get to the second message. God is in fact going to give you a sign that Assyria will indeed come against you and ravage you, which it did in 701 BC when Assyria and King Sennacherib came right up to the gates of Jerusalem and besieged Jerusalem. And Hezekiah was trapped in Jerusalem like a bird in a cage, as Joel shared a couple of weeks ago. If you won't believe in a sign of salvation, God tells Ahaz in this second message that the sign will indeed confirm Assyrian invasion of Judah. In verse 17, we read, The Lord will bring on you, that's Ahaz, and on your people, that's Judah, and on the house of your father, that's David, the kingdom of Judah, a time unlike any since Ephraim or Israel broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria on you because you wouldn't trust in a sign of salvation. You wouldn't trust in God for your protection. You know, you and I are given the same choice that God gave King Ahaz and Judah. You and I are given that same choice today. You are given the choice to either trust or reject God's protection and God's salvation. And we're given a sign from God of that promise. A sign from God. And in fact, it's the same sign that God gave King Ahaz. And just as it was a uh, just as it was for Ahaz and Judah, God's sign can either be for our salvation and our protection or it can be for our destruction and our condemnation. It's pretty blunt, but the choice is ours. God gives you a choice. Trust in me and I'll save you and I'll protect you, but reject me and reject my sign and condemnation 
And in verse 14, we're told what this sign will be. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. And the lands of Syria and Israel, the two kings which Ahaz in Judah feared, Rezin of Damascus and Pekan of Israel, these two lands would be laid waste by Assyria before Emmanuel was old enough to know right from wrong, just as Isaiah said. And all of this happened in 722 BC when Assyria conquered Israel and Syria. Long before the virgin gave birth to a son and called him Emmanuel. Long before the boy was old enough to know right from wrong. You see, Isaiah knew that Emmanuel was coming. Isaiah knew that Emmanuel was coming. But he just didn't know when. He just didn't know exactly when or how long it would take. About 700 years later, the Virgin Mary conceived and gave birth to a son, Jesus, whom we call Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mary knew that Jesus was Emmanuel, God with her. How did she know that? Because God had sent an angel to tell her. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to tell her in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 23. We'll read this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. We're talking about forever. We're talking about eternity here. Where does your eternity lie? This sign of Emmanuel meant for the assurance of Ahaz and Judah's salvation, the sign that was rejected by Ahaz because he refused to ask for a sign and so-called put the Lord to the test, this sign became a sign of condemnation and invasion. And this sign of Emmanuel was the fulfilment of Isaiah's prophecy of the virgin birth of Jesus some 700 years later. As I said when I began, all of the Bible is God's story and it all points to Jesus, the saviour of mankind. This prophecy pointed to Jesus some 700 years later. Jesus, a man who would be called, as the angel Gabriel said, Son of the Most High, or in other words, Son of God, because Jesus was and is God with us. As Matthew puts it in his Gospel, all in chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, all this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive 
and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. That's what the the name Emmanuel means. It means God with us. And this is exactly who Jesus Christ claimed to be, God with us. Jesus said that he and the Father are one. And before Abraham was, I am. I am. Jesus said, I am. And by that he meant, I am God. I am God. I am. I am the sign you seek. You know, many of us today, ourselves or our friends or in the world, seek a sign from God that he exists, a sign that God is real, a sign that God loves me, a sign that God cares for me, a sign that God can save me from the wretched state that we see the world in. God, will you give me a sign? Well, I wonder what sort of sign you're looking for today. What sort of sign and assurance do you need from God that he alone is your salvation, that Jesus Christ alone can be your salvation? The prophet Isaiah speaks to us today that Jesus Christ is the sign you seek. Jesus is the sign that only God can save you. Only Jesus can save you. Jesus said that no one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty exclusive. It doesn't leave much room for the the theories and the philosophies of the world and the culture of, of pantheism, of universalism, of polytheism. Jesus doesn't leave much room for that. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Nothing more, nothing less. And the choice is yours today. Just as it was for Ahaz, the choice is yours today. Will you trust in the sign of Emmanuel? Will you put your trust in God and his sign, his son, Jesus Christ as your saviour. The only one, Jesus said, who can save you from the wretched state that this world is in. Will you believe and put your trust in this sign and in Jesus Christ today? The sign of Emmanuel. That's the message that Isaiah gave King Ahaz. And it's the same message that God gives each one of us. Today, it's a timeless message through the prophet Isaiah. And the message is this. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. We're going to share in a a time of communion now, which uh, is a time that uh, reflects and demonstrates. It's a demonstration in the midst of community, and it's a demonstration before God that we are putting our faith in Jesus Christ to save us. And as the communion elements are offered you today, God invites you to trust in the sign of Emmanuel, God with us. God invites you to trust in the sign of Jesus for your salvation.
If you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus for salvation this morning, then God invites you to do that this morning. I'm not going to ask you to come out the front, but I'm going to ask you in your own heart to be silent before God and consider the sign of Emmanuel this morning. It's a sign meant for your salvation. But if you reject it like King Ahaz, unfortunately, and I'm, I'm sorry, friends, the truth is very blunt. It becomes a sign of condemnation and eternal separation from God, from your family, and from, from your friends when you pass from this world into the next. God gives you a choice today, and the choice is, used, is yours. He won't force you. He invites you to put your faith in Jesus Christ and the sign of Emmanuel. And if you'd like to do that this morning, if you've never done it before, then accept the elements and put your faith in Jesus Christ today. God invites you to believe the message of Isaiah, the message of salvation, the message of Emmanuel. And Isaiah uh, expands that in the 53rd book of the prophet Isaiah. And he asks this question to you, and will you believe it today? He refers to Jesus suffering and dying on the cross of Calvary to pay the penalty for our sin. Will you believe this message today? Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Has God revealed something to you this morning? He, or Jesus, grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Isn't this Joseph's son, the carpenter from Nazareth? Nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem, as do so many today. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering on the cross. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, for yours and mine. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sin. Punishment that brought us peace with God was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned out to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, God has laid on Jesus, the iniquity or the sin of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was crucified. For the transgression of my people, that's us, he was punished for our sins. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will 
to crush him. It was all God's plan from the beginning of time. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for our sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days because he rose from the dead and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. That's the God's plan of salvation. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. That's the resurrection. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. If you know him and put your trust in him today, he will justify you. And he will bear your iniquities, your sin. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong. We have an inheritance in heaven with Jesus Christ. Because, why do we have that? Because he poured out his life unto death on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago for our sin. And he was numbered with the transgressors. Though he had no sin, he became sin for us and bore our sin on the cross. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's you and I. That's our sin. And as we take these elements today, we remember that Jesus paid the punishment for our sin, our rebellion against God, our desire to live life our own way. Jesus hung on the cross of Calvary for our sin. But we remember as Isaiah predicted, he prophesied, he will come to life again. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven before many witnesses and now is seated at the right hand of God in glory where he intercedes on our behalf, on your behalf today, if you put your trust in these elements that represent the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross and his body that was broken for your sin, for my sin. We remember that we are the transgressors. We have all sinned against God. Let's give thanks to Jesus Christ for his salvation, for the sign of Emmanuel together. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. This is a declaration, friends, that we stand firm in our faith for Jesus Christ. And in doing this, we pass from death to life, that we will spend eternity in heaven with God, our family, our friends, all of humanity who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice over thousands and thousands of years until God and Jesus calls an end to time on this world as we know it. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Let's eat and drink together and declare our faith. God, we thank you that you loved the world so much that you gave your one and only Son, Son of the Most High, Emmanuel, God with us. You sent Jesus into the earth to live the perfect life, to show us the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God, we Declare and 
Stand firm in our faith this morning. And thank you for your sure promises that they all come true. God, we thank you for anyone this morning who, for the first time, has put their faith in Jesus Christ and crossed from death into life and life eternal. We give you praise and celebrate with you and with all the angels in heaven and with all the Christian brothers and sisters right across the world. We thank you for your great love for us that was manifest in Jesus Christ. God, thank you that you've sent forth your spirit into the world to search our hearts and to draw us and lead us to Jesus Christ, the Emmanuel, the Saviour of all mankind who would put their faith in him. We thank you that we can celebrate this this morning, this sure truth, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.